Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 92. And today I want to talk about doing things that we don't really want to do, like being a driver support person for our children as they're learning to drive. I also want to talk about trust. Are there times when I doubt what we're doing? Or do I trust 100% of the time? Also, I want to talk about looking out for other people, how we can help them and how they can help us. And then there's praise again. We talked a bit about this last week. Is it okay to praise our kids or will they think they're better than everybody else? How can we be proud of our kids, but at the same time, give them the gift of humility? I've also got a few resources to share. I haven't done that for a while. I don't know why, I probably just forgot. But I want to talk a little bit about creative things. Yes, I've got a few movies, documentaries, a few thoughts to share on being creative. I think that I will start with the driver support role because I've been doing a lot of that recently. My daughter Charlotte, who is 19, is learning to drive. Now here in New South Wales, Australia, young drivers need 120 hours of driving experience before they can sit their driver's test. And of course, they can't have 120 hours of driving lessons. That's far too expensive. So it falls upon the shoulders of parents uh, to help their children. We have just got to get out there, get in the car with our kids and let them get that driving experience. And this is one of the things that I am sometimes reluctant to do. Now I have been a, a support driver for my children five times. And each time I set out feeling a little bit nervous about the whole thing, It's something that I don't really want to do, put myself in a position of danger maybe. Yes, it's rather an adventure getting into the car with a new young driver. But at the same time, I know this is something that I just have to do. I have to get over that fear. I have to put aside my own feelings about the whole situation and yes, get into the car with my young person and give them the opportunity to gain this very necessary skill. Without my help, my children won't learn to drive. It is a real gift of a parent to put themselves in this position. I really think it is something we have to do, whether we like it or not. When I only had one little baby, never saw that I would be in this situation, sitting next to my young people, my teenagers, my young adults, and having to squash my own fears, to be encouraging, to get out there on the road so that they can get their driver's license. I mean, it's one of those things that I never saw before. And I'm going to have to do this seven times. Maybe that's a big ask of any parent. I have to admit that the first few weeks are always a bit um, nerve-wracking. But there always comes a point as my children start to gain the skills and driving becomes more automatic where I actually take a pleasure in their driving. I am able to relax 
and appreciate their pleasure. For example, Charlotte is really, really enjoying driving and she comes back with a big grin on her face and she's full of thanks. Thank you, Mum. I really enjoyed that. What she's saying is thank you, Mum, for the opportunity, for letting me get in the family car, for sitting next to me, for giving me the opportunity to gain this skill. Being a support driver reminds me of chores. You probably don't see the connection, but I've often talked about how if we want our kids to help us with the chores, then we must be willing to help them. And quite often I say that this helping doesn't necessarily mean we have to get the broom out and help them sweep the floors and clean the bathrooms, which is all things I do. But some of us aren't in that position. Uh, maybe if you've got your arms full of baby or whatever. But helping isn't always chores. It's just helping a general attitude of helping, being willing to help when our kids do need that extra help. I think this is one of the times it is a big thing to be a support driver and it's one thing a parent can do with a smile on her face, hopefully not, not clenching your jaw too much or gritting your teeth, uh, looking at it as a big adventure. Yes, I've had some adventurous moments on the road with my children. My son Callum, who is 25, I can remember when he was getting his 120 hours and he took to driving really, really well. He has a natural flair for driving, really loves it. His hobbies include cars. He likes to work on them. He has taught himself car mechanics. He's got two cars with big engines. Yes, he loves driving, loves cars. And he really did love learning to drive. Didn't take him long to get the idea. And I used to love going out with him, chatting as we were driving along, confident that he was a good driver even before he passed his test. But I do remember one day when he drove a manual for the first time and we went up this huge hill and down the other side of it between town and our village and he kangaroo hopped all the way up the hill and all the way down the hill and he got uh, a stream of cars behind him all banked up and I can remember how we laughed about it and said, don't worry, you know, we're having a good time here. And we did. We didn't really worry about anybody else. We didn't worry that he wasn't driving perfectly. It was just a lot of fun. My daughter Imogen, who is 22, she learnt to drive in a manual car right from day one. And her very first driving lesson uh, was with me. I taught her all the basics and she didn't actually have a lesson with a driving school until she was driving very well. And she went to the driving school because she wanted to tune up all her skills and go over the test route, get an idea of what was expected from the test. So we thought it would be a good idea for her to have some lessons with a professional driving instructor. He sort of finished her off for the test, finished her off in a good way. But yes, I must have had a lot of courage with her, though she took to it well too. And now Charlotte's enjoying driving as well. Soon I will have another driver in the family, and that is really wonderful. I really love it when Imogen says such things as, You stay home with Gemma Rose today, Mum. I'll take the other girls to their piano lessons. While I'm making this podcast, Imogen's having coffee, and if I finish this 
podcast in time, we're going to pick up Sophie from work, and Imogen's going to drive us. I'm just going to go along to keep her company, have a chat along the way. But if I don't finish this podcast in time, she has offered to do the driving herself. She said to me, Mum, you go and get something done. It's really lovely when that happens. We help our kids, and they repay us in many, many ways. Helping other people. Watching out for opportunities to help others. That's what I'd like to talk about next. And not only watching out for ways that we can help the people around us, but people from outside the family. I want to share the story of my first son, my second child, Duncan. He is a lovely person, but it takes a long time for you to get to know him and to discover that. And a lot of people throughout his life haven't bothered to do that because he has never been very extroverted or because he finds it hard to get into a conversation unless of course people are talking about something that he's passionately interested in. He sort of stumbles along through the conversation and people give up. They just turn to somebody else which is very very sad. Not many people will stick uh, with somebody like that and take the time to get to know them to persevere when other people are having a little bit of trouble getting their words out. And I've been wondering, you know, will he ever find his place in the world, a job that he could excel at with people around him that will appreciate him and his skills. Now, you might remember a couple of episodes back, I told you that he'd got a job as a chef's apprentice. And how wonderful that is, that he has found something that he enjoys with people who he likes and who like him. And I had a chance to speak to the head chef at the cafe the other day. Although Duncan is an adult, I'm still his mother, and I'm still thankful for everybody who makes his life easier, who stretches out a hand to him and helps him along the way. So I had an opportunity to talk to her, and I wanted to thank her for taking the time to get to know him, to offer him help. And she said to me, Oh, you don't need to thank me. I'm not doing anything special. And as I told her, of course she is doing something very special because not everybody would do what she's doing. Not everybody will take the time. How many people do we look at and disregard? We don't see past the surface. We don't think that they're of value to get to know. But the chef has taken the time to get to know Duncan. She has become his friend. She told me that he is a very interesting person with lots of talents, that he has a brilliant mind, which I suspected. One of the other staff in the cafe was also there talking, and she said to the chef, Have you heard about Duncan's YouTube channel? And the chef said, Of course I have. He's my friend. We have conversations. He tells me all sorts of things. And I thought to myself, he doesn't tell a lot of people things about himself. Probably, as I said, because he doesn't get the opportunity. Yes, not many people are that bothered with him. The subject of Duncan's YouTube channel is very interesting because I really had no idea either about what he was doing on his channel. I think the chef knows more about it than me. I knew he had a YouTube channel. Occasionally he would talk about it. Occasionally 
we'll ask him how it's going. But it was only a week or so ago that we were talking about our YouTube channels and we were comparing how many views of our videos we've had. And in my case, that's very little. And I turned to Duncan and I said, how many subscribers do you have on your channel? And he said, hmm, I'm not sure at the moment. I said, how do you get many views of your videos? And he, he said, I get quite a few. So I said, well, what's your YouTube channel called? Because I've forgotten. And maybe I don't take enough interest in him either, blaming other people. And here, here I am, his mother. But anyway, I went over to his YouTube channel, which is called The Entities Lair. And I discovered that he has well over 3,000 subscribers and that his videos get lots and lots of views. One of his videos has had over 2 million views. And then I thought to myself, even mothers are sometimes surprised at what their kids are doing. I had no idea about that. He is a lot more successful on YouTube than any of the rest of us, but he hasn't really spoken about it. He doesn't tell us much about it. He just goes away, does what he does, does it very well, and then doesn't feel the need to keep us updated. He doesn't say things like, wow, my last video was so successful, so many people watched it. He just, I suppose, smiles quietly to himself, he answers the comments, he prepares his next video. He has a good subject, a very popular subject. His last videos, I think, have been about Spider-Man, and Spider-Man obviously is very popular. What he does is he gets various movies, like he's got a lot of Spider-Man movies, and he chops them all up, and he makes trailers of his own, changes the storyline. This seems to be a very popular thing to do. Well, anyway, people like watching the videos. So yes, even our own children surprise us sometimes. Sometimes the quietest ones surprise us the most. So what I've been thinking about is that we should watch out for opportunities to help other people. We don't know how our actions can change the lives of others. What if we all watched out and looked around us and did what we could to help other people? Wouldn't the world be a different place? None of us can live by ourselves. We do need each other. And some of us need more help than others. Yes, we can change the lives of other people. So I'd like to say thank you to the chef. I don't think she will ever hear this podcast. And she wouldn't want thanks anyway. To her, it's just something that everybody should be doing. She doesn't think that she's doing anything special. Just the way she treats people. I think she's very special indeed. I want to talk about now is trust. I've had to do a lot of trusting as far as some of my kids go, especially Duncan, thinking, will he find his place in the world? He's very different. Uh, he's not an average type person. He's very special. He's got very wonderful gifts, but he hasn't got the personality that fits into the world easily. Some people have it easier than others. And I've had to trust a long time. I've had to trust all sorts of things. I mean, life is about trusting. 
when Thomas died, I had to trust that I would get over the grief, that it would be okay. Of course, we trust all the time with unschooling. And this brings me to the question, are there times when my trust in the unschooling process disappears? Um, does my trust waver? Or do I get up every day 100% sure that what we're doing is the right thing? Well, I think that everybody wants to hear that my trust never, ever wavers. Nobody wants to hear that even me who sits here and writes about unschooling, who speaks about it all the time, who tries to convince you all to unschool, you don't want to hear that I have difficult days where I wonder as well, am I doing the right thing by my children? No, you don't want to hear that, do you? But I have to be honest and say that there are days when I wonder. My bad days, my low days, they don't happen very often, but they do happen. And I think, why is this? And I think it is because unschooling is life. It's our lives. And life is difficult at times. We don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know what sort of things we're going to have to deal with when some kind of crisis hits us. It does make us wonder if what we're doing is the right thing. Unschooling isn't a magic solution. We don't say we'll unschool and everything will be perfect from now on. We won't have another bad day in our lives because we're unschooling. Well, that's unrealistic because as I said, unschooling is just our lives and our lives aren't going to be perfect every single day. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have challenges in the education side, in the parenting side, in other things that we can't even imagine. And we're going to have to face those challenges. What I think unschooling does for us is that it builds strong relationships between us and our children. And that's what gets us through each of the difficulties. Yes, we might wonder, perhaps things would be different if we didn't unschool. Perhaps unschooling is a problem. Perhaps we're in this situation because of unschooling. Perhaps if I'd kept more control over my kids, they wouldn't have made this mistake, for example. And I had one of those times, oh, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. I did podcast about it. It's way back in the podcast list. And I'm not going to look and see what number it is or direct you there because I don't want to go back and re-listen to that. It was a, a low point for a while. I did question whether we should have been unschooling. One of my children did make a mistake. I never told the end of the story. Actually, I didn't even tell the details of the story because it was a private story. I just talked about my feelings. Well, that situation resolved itself and resolved itself very quickly. And I think that is because of the relationship that we had built uh, as parents and children Children can come to us, talk about their mistakes. They know what's right and what's wrong. And if they go off track for a while, as in this case, the child realized that everything resolved itself. We moved on. But we didn't just move on. I think that all these difficulties strengthen us in some way. If life was perfect all the time, we wouldn't grow stronger. We wouldn't learn anything. Sometimes we do fall we do, our children as well, we do make mistakes, we do wonder what we're doing. Perhaps we should have done this or that. 
we ponder it, we think about it very carefully, we might pray about it, we come to the conclusion that we wouldn't have done anything different and that we have to keep on going, we have to keep on trusting. And that's the thing I think about trust. It's not a one-time thing. You get trust and you're okay forever. No, trusting is very easy when things are going well. We don't need to trust. We know that things are going well. So trust doesn't come into it. We trust when things are not going so well. We say, I trust even though the situation looks bad. It doesn't look as I would like it. I trust that we're doing the right thing. We're parenting our kids in the right way. That they're going to get the education they need. The skills that they need for their future. Even though we can't see it, we wonder sometimes if we trust through all those difficult times, we always come out the other end. Things are always, they always work out and our trust gets deeper. It gets tested along the way, yes. We question it, yes. But it gets stronger and stronger. But as I said, it's not always constant. Yes, some days I have a low day and I do wonder, but I also know deep down that we couldn't do things in any other way. And that was the subject of the podcast I made a long time ago. That feeling that even though we might be in a difficult situation, there is really nothing that we can do about it. We just have to keep on going ahead, one foot in front of the other. We know we'll come out the other side because we trust. But there's nothing else we can do about it because we do know deep down We would never have done anything different and we can't change midway. We can't ruin those good relationships. We can't grab hold of control. We can't do anything that will harm our relationships. We have to respect our kids. We have to give them the freedom. We know that deep inside us. And so we just have to put up with it, keep on trusting. And as I said, it always works out. So if you're having a difficult time, This doesn't mean that you should give up unschooling. Maybe it means that there is nothing you can do but keep on going. You're on the right track. Yes, don't give up now. Unschooling will lead you out the other side. It's not the cause of problems. Unschooling is actually the help we need. It will make everything okay. Well, that's my experience. Ups and downs of family life, but we keep on going. And yes, things always do resolve themselves. We all grow closer together. We learn something. We keep on going. I'd like to talk about creative arts next. First of all, I want to ask you whether you are a creative type person. Do you like to make things or even just have ideas that you want to turn into words? Perhaps you knit or crochet, make up patterns. I know that some of my friends weave, but not just weave. I know Kelly, she's got wonderful weaving videos on YouTube. That's how she expresses her creativity. I create by writing and making videos and little animations and things like that, always looking for some other way of spreading the unschooling message, learning different software programs, playing around with my photos. All of these things are expressions of my creativity. 
But I do remember a time when I couldn't be creative because I had babies and toddlers and every moment of my day seemed to be taken up looking after my family. And I used to yearn to do something for myself and not necessarily just read a book because I could always read a book with a baby in my lap, but make something. I couldn't even knit because I needed two hands to do it and I never learnt the art of knitting with a baby on my lap, though I know other people have. One day, when one of my children was a baby, I was desperate. I wanted to do some sewing at the machine and I even tried sewing with the baby on my lap at the sewing machine, but that didn't work out either. But I soon learnt that there are periods in our lives where we can't do what we would like to do. But everything comes back with time. There are times when we have to give up our own activities. I thought that this would go on forever, but of course it doesn't. And I have a favourite poem about this. It's a poem by an Australian woman called Jan Owen. It's called Young Woman Gathering Lemons. And this woman, she is a painter. She has a toddler and she's pregnant. And she goes outside and she sees the lemons on the tree. And being an artist, the colours of them capture her imagination. She imagines painting them, getting tubes of paint and her brushes out. She just wants to paint. She has this urge to be creative. But of course she can't. She has a little child to look after. She can't just do what she wants to do. I'm no good at reading poetry, but I shall tell you a few lines of it. It goes, Such yellow, if there were only time, she presses to her face its fine, sharp scent of loss, then sinks her forehead onto her wrist. The tears drip off her chin, till the child tugs at her dress. She kneels to hug him close and breathe him in. Who's got a silly old mother then? It dizzies her, the fragrance of his skin. He nuzzles under the hair come loose. The fallen lemons, nippled gold, wait round them in the grass. I said that terribly, but I urge you to go and read that poem. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Because, of course, that child was her creation. He is so much more beautiful than those lemons. She forgot those lemons. They just lay there in the grass as she hugged that child and took in his scent and the beauty of him. And I think we forget that sometimes, that our children are so much more beautiful than anything else that we create. And that time and energy that we put into our children is the most important thing that we can do. Yes, stories can be written later on, we can knit and we can draw and we can do all the other things later when our children don't need us anymore. There's going to be heaps of time when our children are grown up and no longer such an intimate part of our lives. So I hope you enjoy that poem if you go over and read it. Of course, you haven't got much of an idea what it's like from my words, but I tell you it is a lovely poem and maybe reassurance for mothers maybe fathers as well, who do have that longing to create, but no time. Now, talking of creative arts, somebody left a comment on my Facebook page saying that she likes it when I share my resources, and it reminded me that I haven't done this for a while. So I have some creative art resources that my daughter Gemma Rose, who is 13, 
and I have been enjoying. Gemma Rose loves drawing. If we go back a couple of podcasts, maybe two or three ago, you will have heard the story of how I bought her a huge set of Prismacolor pencils for her birthday. And she's been going over to YouTube and watching drawing tutorials, trying out things in her own art book, and having a lot of fun and gaining a lot of skills. Yesterday, we actually took one of her pictures down to the shop and she bought a frame for it. And now that picture is hanging on her bedroom wall. She's very proud of it. I think she should be. But when Gemma Rose isn't drawing, she likes to watch creative arts documentaries, especially ones about paintings, famous works of art. We found a few documentaries about stolen art, how various paintings have been stolen and how they have been found again. They're always interesting. But the ones that we've been watching recently, there's two series. One's called Every Picture Tells a Story. And each episode is about one particular painting and the presenter tells the story about it. Pretty obvious, isn't it? And the other one is Private Life of a Masterpiece, a very similar type program. Private Life of a Masterpiece, I think, runs for about an hour each episode. And Every Picture Tells a Story is a half-hour program. Maybe you can have a look through the list of paintings. Some of them you may feel aren't suitable for your children depending upon their ages. Some of them have adult themes. That's just a general warning. I guess it just depends on the age of your children. You certainly will enjoy these programs. So they're available um, to watch online. Some of them are on YouTube and some of them are on Vimeo. I will leave some links in the show notes. I think it was two podcasts ago, I was talking about the BBC 2009 production of Jane Austen's novel, Emma. I think it's a four-part series. Each part is an hour long. And Gemma Rose and I enjoyed that immensely. I found all those episodes on YouTube the other day. We really love that um, production. It stars Romola Garay as Emma. After we watched that program, we did what we usually do. We did a little bit of searching on YouTube for behind-the-scene documentaries. Because what usually happens is that after a series like Emma is made, or while the, they are actually filming it, they'll also make some behind-the-scenes programs to go with it some interviews with the actors and actresses. Somebody might talk about the music, the setting, the location where the series has been filmed. And we found a number of those on YouTube, so we learned a little bit more about the filming of Emma, the house where it was filmed, the location, the costumes, stunning costumes, little details that we hadn't realized while we were watching Emma, but which we will look out for in f when we watch it the next time, such as Emma had a little watch attached to the waist of her dress, and how one of the poorer characters had a dress that had been washed many, many times so that it looked faded. All these little details that went in to making an absolutely stunning production. We saw that the snow scene was actually fake, They'd filmed it in the height of summer. They were all there in their coats, and 
they showed us how they had put fake snow in one area of the garden it looked very very real i would never have been able to tell that it was fake snow all these things yes add to the enjoyment of a production it prolongs the pleasure you watch the production you go and watch the behind the scenes you want to go and watch the production again but one thing this led to was music we've watched the behind the scenes program about the music and we started thinking about how the score of a production affects our emotions how it enhances our enjoyment of the series and this led to a bit of googling and a bit of reading we looked at some more youtube videos about scores and movie soundtracks a score and the movie soundtrack are two different things we didn't know that until we did some googling and we came across another series it's called the sound of cinema the music that made the movies and there's i think three parts to it three one hour parts and I've only watched the first one so far, so I can't tell you too much about it, but I enjoyed the first part, and the first part was called The Big Score. started off with the early movies, the silent ones, and then went into the first music associated with movies. They used to have a pianist playing while they screened a movie, and that pianist used to make up the music. And so if you went to see the film at two different times two different locations the music would be different because it depended on the person who was playing they just made it up as they went along played what they liked they went through the history of cinema and music talked about how different m music affects the way we perceive what's on screen how uh, some sections of a movie aren't scored and others are and they think very carefully about what sort of response the music has to evoke one of the movie directors that came up was Alfred Hitchcock. Now, I've never watched any Alfred Hitchcock movies, but I want to now because of what I was hearing about the scores for his movies, how they make us feel frightened, for example. If you watch this and you're sensitive, I should close your eyes at the murder in the shower scene. But yes, very, very interesting. So if you like the sound of any of those resources, you can find the links in the show notes. Now the last thing I want to talk about is praise. And last week I said to you that I praise my children. Well, I went online and did some reading this week and I found loads of articles which tell us not to praise our kids. That is a bad thing. Because if you praise your kids, apparently, they will only do things because of the praise. They get used to it. They won't value the thing for its own sake. I had a chat with my daughter Imogen earlier today about this and she disagrees with this view. She says children do need praising. I guess it depends on what sort of praise they get, how we do it. She said that we all need to know that what we're doing is good. And the people we want to know it most from are our parents. They're the most important people in our lives. We do want their approval. They're the people we turn to when we've done something and we want to know whether what we've done is good or not. We value their opinion. So we should tell our kids when they've done something well. This doesn't mean to say that we give them the feeling that they are better than everybody else. 
we should also praise other people. And it's not so much the person that we're praising, but the talents, how they're using their talents. I always say to Imogen on Sundays after she sang the psalm at Mass, I always say to her, you sang very well today. I think she needs to know that what she's doing is good. It's worthwhile her spending her time on. People appreciate her efforts because she works really, really hard. I also say that she must be giving a lot of pleasure to other people by using her talents. I encourage her. We were talking earlier about if we don't get any feedback about what we're doing, if we're never told that what we're doing is good, we might go looking for something else. We might think, well, look, what we're doing is not very good. Nobody has given me any feedback about what I'm doing, so it can't be very good. And I do want to do something worthwhile with my life and my talents. I might try something else and move on to something else and keep on looking for something that will make a difference in the world. Perhaps we all need to know that what we're doing is worthwhile. It is making a difference. Not for thanks, not because it makes us feel that we're good people, but because we're using those talents and we should keep on using them, put the hard work in, because it's not easy doing something well. We sometimes need encouragement. I probably said all that not in a very clear way. Uh, I hope you do get the idea. Maybe I should explain it more another time. I guess I'm speaking a little bit of a hurry because I know soon Imogen will have to leave to go and pick Sophie up from work. And I do want to go with her. I will enjoy sitting next to her as we drive along and I will be able to enjoy a chat with her. So I want to go. So I hope you don't mind that. I'm going to just lead that into the subject of humility because I think, yes, if we praise in the wrong way, we can make our children feel that they are the best people in the world and not necessarily uh, do they have the talents that we are praising them for. You know, we tell them that everything they do is wonderful, that we can give them the wrong idea. We have to be honest. But also, even when our kids know that they have talents and we tell them that, I think that we also have to pass on uh, the gift of humility. I think that's one of the most important things that we can share with our kids, that even though they are very talented, it is important that they be humble about those talents, that they are not their talents. They've just used their talents. They have put a lot of work into them. Their talents don't make them good people. What makes them good people is the way that they handle those talents. And I think parents can do a disservice to their kids. And I do this sometimes. I'm going to admit it. I get very proud of my kids and I want everybody to look at them and say, hey, isn't she a wonderful singer, for example? And I'll glow with the sort of be in, in the shadow of image and think, wow, she's my daughter. You know, she's a really wonderful singer. I must be a wonderful parent. There is a temptation to do that, and I know that's the wrong thing to do. It teaches our children the wrong values. Luckily for me, my daughter Imogen has got her feet firmly on the ground, and I'm going to tell you a story about that to illustrate that. She sings at Mass. She sings on YouTube. I try and encourage her I share the fact that she's using talents that were given to her, talents that weren't given to me, that she uses them for the sake of other people. 
Now, musicians, if you get into a choir, if you're in a choir, you probably know that there are a lot of egos in a choir. Everybody wants to be the star. And, yes, it's sometimes not a good place to be. Imogen used to work with a very lovely young person at Mass who used to accompany her. One person used to play the keyboard and Imogen used to sing the psalm. They worked very, very well together. The person who was the accompanist used to be the psalmist before Imogen. She has a lovely voice as well. And one day she left our area, she moved out of the area, and Imogen still sings the psalm, but the other person is no longer here. One day she did come back. She visited our parish, and all the other members of the choir were eager for her to join the choir for an old time's sake. Come and sit with us in the choir, come and sing with us, come and sit in the front row with us. Because yes, it's always a fight for a front row seat. And so they're all pushing each other along. Come on, there's room here, there's room here. And I remember the Imogen, who always has a front row seat because she is a soloist, she got up and she said, you come sit in my seat. And she went and sat in the very back row. And I was just so proud of her. She didn't fight to keep her position. She gave it up. She went and sat in the back where nobody could see her. And I think that that is the best thing we can teach our children. Yeah, be proud of them. Give them a sense of, encourage them but also keep them grounded and be most proud of those moments when they are humble and put themselves last. And I guess that's the lovely message to end on because it's Holy Week next week leading up to Easter. We will remember on Holy Thursday that it is most important to serve others, not ourselves. Yeah, take the back seat, not the front seat. So I'm going to finish this podcast here. I hope that I will be back with another one very soon. I would like to thank you so much for listening to this. I'd like to thank everybody who listens to my podcast and then tells me about it. As a few of my friends I know who listen in the car. So I'd like to say hello to them. They listen while they're going places, going to work. I'd like to say in a special hello to Emily, who is a new listener. She joined us at episode 90 and left a really beautiful message on Facebook for me, which really encouraged me. Yes, made me feel that I wanted to go right out there and record the next episode of this podcast. Get my mic out straight away. Record something else. We all need encouraging. We all need to know that what we're doing is making a difference. So I'm going to end there, as I said. I hope that I'll be back with one more episode before Easter. But I will say Happy Easter anyway. Easter is not far away, creeping up on us. I hope you have a wonderful unschooling week with your families. And until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.